Well, hello, church. You can do better than that. Hello, church. If this is your first time here. We're just a bunch of gypsies. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be great. You know, uh, when God puts a hold on your life, it's for a reason. God took Israel on this journey for three months. He brought them to Sinai, and he stopped them for 11 months. And over those 11 months, God was only going to do one thing. You know what he was going to do? Teach. He was going to teach them the Word of God. He was going to bring them face-to-face with the Ten Commandments, not the Twelve Suggestions. There is a difference, you know. I have found in the life of men there is nothing that arrests our character quicker than the confrontation of the law of God in your face. Because every man knows what's going on inside of him anyway, amen? You're just not telling your wife. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? You know what's going on inside of you. And you're fighting battles and you're charging up hills that you don't even know how to win. We're going to talk about the journey and I'm going to give you a wilderness report. Here's the first thought. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not even know it. God right now could be arranging the circumstances of your life for a miracle that might manifest itself next week, next year, or the next five years. You don't know, but do not waste this time not acknowledging what God is doing in your life. Because here's the second thing, every stage of the journey has a specific purpose. You can look at your life right now and say, God, what is the purpose? And let me tell you what God's going to say. Are you ready for this? Write it down. Nothing. It's not about you asking him questions. He wants you to ask yourself questions. I don't know about you, but it's been frustrating my entire life when I go to God and God, God, what is going on? And I hear the silence of heaven. He says it's an open book test. Grab the Bible and see what I've said already. Get that one figured out, and we'll go back and talk about some more stuff a little bit later. What he's really trying to prompt in me is this idea that, God, I need to look at me. What's wrong with me? What are you doing in my life to transform me into your image? There is a process. There's a purpose. And in this journey, God creates a new hunger for God. See, if things go too easy, you don't have a hunger for God. If you had padded chairs, you wouldn't have a hunger for padded chairs. Amen? Now, we have had a man that has offered to print and provide cushions for our entire church. But you have to take them home. Because we're not going to store 600 cushions. I'm telling you right now. We'll see about that. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Look what the Word of God says. And God spoke all these words. Did you hear that? And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You could very easily say the same thing. He is the Lord my God who has brought me out of the slavery of sin, put my feet upon a solid rock, put his Holy Spirit in me, wrote his name on my heart, wrote my name in his book, and delivered me from evil. I want you to look with me in Exodus 
Look at Exodus 20. Just go back and see how God got their attention. Look with me in verses uh, 16 through 19. See if this would get your attention. Then it came to pass on the third day, there it is again, a reference to the third day, in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. That get your attention? I was preaching a crusade down in El Salvador a number of years ago, and um, I was going to talk from Revelation on uh, when the earthquakes come and, and the great and the small, they hide their faces from the presence of the return of Christ. And right when I was preaching that, there was an earthquake there in San Salvador, and those 3,000 people that had gathered in the street, standing on rooftops, got the message loud and clear, and we had probably over 500 people come to faith in Christ that night. Thank you, God, for an earthquake. Just time perfectly. But look what else it says here. If you go on with me and read in verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. See, that's what Moses did. Come on, we're going to go meet God, and I know you're afraid, and I know you're trembling because you look at your world and you say, what's going on in my world? And you feel like the world is going to hell. It is, dear friend. It is going to hell quickly, is it not? But that doesn't mean that you don't have the power of God in you to triumph over the difficulties of life. And he says here, And Moses brought the people out to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. In smoke ascended, and the smoke ascended like a furnace, uh, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. Now, I don't know about you, but if God wants to get my attention, all he's got to do is do thunder, lightning, trumpets, loud trumpets, smoke, and then talking. If when I hear a voice from heaven, I get a little worried because I'm wondering what's happening. Now remember, Moses was going to go up on the mountain and he was going to see God. He was going to be in the presence of God and he was going to get these Ten Commandments. Now, if he were going up today, it might look something like this. Do we have that slide? <laughs> Instead of engraving in stone, he might just send an iPad. Let's look together. Let's, let's think about this idea of God speaking to us. God spoke. It says God spoke all of these words. You know, we don't have to guess what God is thinking. God speaks. Let me talk to you a little bit about how God speaks. I encourage you to take notes and kind of become a student of the Word of God. But first thing we want to talk about is general revelation. How does God reveal himself to man? How does he get his message through? And one way is through creation. When I look into my world, I see that God has created the sun and the moon and the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. God also works by providence. In other words, that God blesses you, whether you know him or do not know him, by the world that you have. It says in Acts chapter 14, the living God, the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, Nevertheless, listen to this, he did not leave them without a witness. 
God did not leave them without a witness in that God gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and with gladness. And he says, providence comes in and says, look at your world. It's a witness of God. And then God gave you a conscience. All mankind has a conscience. It can be seared as with a branding iron, Scripture says. But all of us have a conscience. It's, a, it's an appeal to what's right and what's wrong. But then there is special revelation, not just general revelation, but special uh, revelation. And that's God gives clear information to a smaller number of people. Sometimes it's by miracles. A supernatural intervention of God in your life. We've seen miracles in this church already. We've seen people healed. We've seen people get jobs when they weren't supposed to get jobs and industries are not supposed to have, get, be getting jobs in. It's just been a miracle of God what we've seen happen. Sometimes God comes as an angel. He brings, sends an angel. The angel of the Lord comes, like when Gabriel came to Mary. Even Hebrews says, be careful how you entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, how about that for an, a shocking moment in your life? You encounter an angel. Now, I want you to look up and down your row. Go ahead, take a look. See any angels? I'm not seeing any either. Sometimes God speaks from an aud with an audible voice to us. You say, does God still do that? God can do whatever God wants. He's God. Then Jesus came, and he was the special revelation of God. He was God in the flesh. He was not just a good man. He was not just a prophet or a rabbi. He was God in the flesh. The Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Listen to what it says. God, who at various times in the book of Hebrews, in various ways spoke in the past by the fathers and the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And then there is the, the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's the breath of God. Isaiah 55.11 says, My word will not return void. A lot of people like to quote that, but you've got to remember what was God's purpose in it. God sent out His Word in Matthew chapter 13 in a parable. And it said that that Word on some occasions fell by the side of the road, and Satan came and snatched it from a person's heart because they lacked knowledge or lacked direction. Sometimes the seed fell by and, and, and began to take root in rocky ground, but it wasn't sufficient to, to give life, and so it quickly died out. Sometimes it falls among thorns, and that's where the world chokes it out. You hear the Word of God. Listen carefully. You hear the Word of God, but you say to yourself, yeah, that's a good idea, and you mean to take it really seriously, but you go out about your life, and guess what happens? The cares of this world chokes out the Word of God, and you have no life in you. And then there's a fourth soil, and it's called good soil. The seed falls in there, and it begins to germinate, and, and it begins to bring forth life, and it brings some hundredfold, and some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold in your life. Think about this. When God speaks, it means something. The Word of God is God speaking to us. It's supposed to mean something. The intent is that people listen and people obey the Word of God. A question that every man needs to consider is this. How many times does God have to say something before I will obey God? How many times? Exodus 20 marks this delay in the journey. When God puts your life on hold, there is a reason. But distraction has become our chief strategy in doing good. 
How many times have you had an excuse, well, I'd like to do that, but I can't? I'd like to do that, but I can't. No, it's, let's change the terminology. I'd like to do that, but most of the times I don't want to do that. Because God puts a demand on my life. You see, there's two things that God expects from every man. You know, one of them is accountability. We are accountable before God. If God has spoken, then I should know what he has said. If God has spoken, I should know what he has said. And the second thing is action. All of God's words are a call to action to every single one of us to obey and do what he has said. On one occasion, their religious leaders came to Jesus. They tried to trap him. And they said this in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 36 through 39. Teacher. They were saying rabbi. They weren't saying Lord. They weren't saying God in the flesh. They weren't saying Messiah. They were saying teacher. Which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto them, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That's the great commandment. You want to obey God, then start there. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And when something comes up and tries to take the place of God's love in your heart, stop right there. Say, no, I have to love God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. He said, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. Loving God and loving one another with all your heart. See, God is unique. He said, I am the Lord your God, didn't he? I am the Lord your God. I, an article in USA Today was, caught my attention. Here's the title of the article. As atheists know, you can be good without God. It's written by a professor at University of Chicago. And here's the quote I pulled out of that article. He said, so where does morality come from? was the question. If not from God, the response, two places, evolution and secular reasoning. That's where good comes from. Now, when I read that, it gave me a pain that I can't locate. You see, the fool has said there is no God. Or you can also translate that Hebrew this way, the fool has said no God for me. But a couple of thoughts came to mind. First of all, how do you know what is good versus what is not good? How do you know what is good versus what is not good or what is evil? What is the standard that tells you that's a good thing, that's a bad thing? Society can't form that kind of an opinion and agree on it. Conscience is inadequate because our conscience sometimes will lead us down a wrong path. And then the second thought that came to me is, is good good enough? Is good good enough? And good enough for what? You see, this reminds us here that when he says, I am the Lord your God, it reminds us that God is active in history. That God did not simply create the world and then entrust us to us to come up with our own set of laws. God's claim is that he is the Lord. Not a Lord, not one of many lords. He is the Lord. Now the question is, is he your Lord? That only comes through conversion. That only comes through salvation. That only comes through seeking God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It also reveals that God's law reveals and tells us that God is moral. 
In other words, God says, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. That is a moral code. You know why they needed it? Because their own moral code was inadequate. It wasn't sufficient. To change the law of God is man's attempt to change God. When a person says, I know the Bible says that, but... Just the, the little, little, just pushing out of the Ten Commandments, for example, in school systems and in society is man's attempt not to do what he wants. It's man's attempt to say, I don't want God interfering with my life. Oh, check out the federal buildings. They contain the Ten Commandments. You can see them in the Supreme Court. Why, even we have paid for a pastor to lead in prayer in Congress ever since the very beginning of our nation. And yet we're saying, no God. It's an attempt to say, let's change God because the God you're giving us is a God that asks us to be accountable and asks us to come to a place of action in our life where we actually live our life differently. That's what God wants. The giving of the law, man's sense of right and, and wrong, points to the fact that it's inadequate. We can't, we can't navigate our own world. Speed limit signs are just reminders that we don't know how fast we should drive. Except in California, they mean absolutely nothing. But also, did you notice it, it reminds us here in this, I am the Lord, your God. It's personal. Not somebody else's God, your God. Is he your God? So you can know about God and not know God. Is he your God? You see, God is personal. It's what happens to man. It's not something that's automatic. I've been asked uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, are we going to baptize? And uh, we are. And we're going to do it in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna, I've decided how to do it. I'm going to go down here because we don't have a place to, to dunk people. We could hose them off. but. <laughs> so I, I had this brilliant idea that we'd go down here to this jacuzzi place, and they're not selling jacuzzis right now, and say, would you bring a jacuzzi over, and we'll let you put your sign up there and advertise jacuzzis for sale. You fill it up with water, and we'll just baptize right out of the back of your truck. Isn't that a great idea? Just, we're just, it's gypsy-ish. It just fits us. We might even use cold water just to remind us that we're gypsies. God is personal. He's your God. Let me show you this third thing, too, that, and that is that God alone is your deliverance. I can't deliver myself out of my problems. Have you ever tried? Have you ever, I mean, we've talked about this, right? We, you lay in bed at night and you go, I'm going to figure this out. And what do you get out of that? No sleep. I never figure it out. My wife is the best figure-outer there is. She'll lay it up all night figuring it out. She never figures it out. But she doesn't want me to sleep while she's figuring it out. I'm ready to sleep, babe. I know. She'll look at me like, how can you sleep at a time like this? And I'll show her. I said, I put my head on this pillow like this. I close my eyes, and I go to sleep. That's how I go to sleep. Can't figure it out. God alone, he says, who brought you. See, God carries you. God carries you out of your problems. How many of you have ridden horses? Ridden horse? Most of you have ridden horses. That's good. Okay. It's not a smooth ride. That's why they got the cars. It's a bumpy ride. 
up and down, up and down, bumpy ride, bumpy ride, bumpy ride. You know, I got to thinking about this. We brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, the, the ride was bumpy coming out of Egypt. Deliverance out of your problems and out of your sin is not easy. Deliverance out of your own self-sufficiency is not easy. It's a bumpy ride. Up and down, up and down, up and down, holding on all the time. Horse gets spooked. Off it goes. You're still holding on. All right, where are we going, God? Don't worry. I got the reins. Do not touch the reins. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You ever been in a house of bondage? That's what it means to be in sin. All the doors are locked. You can't get out. You go, what am I going to do? I'm locked in sin. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to find God. And God says, I'm here. I got the key. Coming back to the junior high school reminds me of my elementary school. Mr. Snyder. Mr. Snyder was the custodian. I loved Mr. Snyder more than all other teachers or principals. Because he was the only one in the school that liked me, I think. But Mr. Snyder had one of those big rings of keys. You know those things they used to have like, like this? Mr. Snyder knew exactly how to get my attention because I, oftentimes I, the teacher allowed me to sit out in the hallway during class. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so I'd be out there in the hallway and Mr. Snyder would come by and he'd go, uh, what'd you do this time, Phil? Yeah, you don't want to know. Okay. But Mr. Snyder would walk off and he'd walk off, he'd take that hand and he'd flick those keys because he was showing off. He was saying, I got the keys. I knew he had the key. He had the key to everything. And sometimes Mr. Snyder would say, come on, how long are you supposed to be out here? 20 minutes. Come on, we got 15 minutes. He'd take me down let me clean the erasers. Remember those? Some of you remember that? They had this machine. It had the big brush on it. And go around and you'd take the, this eraser and you'd put it over there and it would suck all the chalk off of it. And sometimes you'd get your buddies down there and see how long you could put your head on the eraser cleaner. But every time I think about this, you know, this house of bondage, you get in a house of bondage, you've got to know somebody with the keys to get you out. Jesus said in Revelation, I have the keys of life and of death. And every once in a while, you can hear Jesus walking across glory, and he's flicking the keys. He's telling you, I got the key to your bondage. I got the key to your bondage. I can get you out of your dilemma. I can get you out of your problem. I got the key to get you out of your problem. There was a book that was met with different reviews. It was called The Shack. Some of you read it, but there was one quote in there I want to just read to you. It goes like this. God is speaking. And he says, Just because I work incredible good out of unspeakable tragedies doesn't mean that I orchestrate the tragedies. Don't ever assume that my using something means that I caused it or that I need it to accomplish my purposes. That will only lead you to false notions about me. Grace does not depend on suffering to exist. But where there is suffering, you will find grace in many facets and many colors. Your bondage may have caused you problems and turmoil and struggle even now. But I want you to know God is a, is a God of redemption and a God of restoration. See, he takes you out of the bondage, and then he starts to rebuild your life. That's restoration. And he places you in a position of grace. The law, the giving of the law, you know what it's like? It's like a mirror. You ever looked in the mirror? 
look in the mirror and you go, I look pretty good. Anybody ever do that? Look in the mirror and I go, I look pretty good. How many, raise your hand, how many of you do that? I look pretty good. Why are you so humble now when you're so proud in front of the mirror? I do not understand this. Let's try it again. How many of you have ever looked in the mirror just one time in your life and said, I look pretty good? The rest of you, what, you're suffering from such low self-esteem. The law is like a mirror. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, yeah, I look, you know, you're like, yeah, I don't look so good or I look good or, you know, what, you've got an idea of what you look like, right? And then you walk away from the mirror and you forget what you look like, right? And things could go wrong. Why you, since the time you looked in the mirror, because you know what happens after 30 is your face goes numb. And there's food hanging on your face. You don't know what's going on. You go, hey, right here. Oh, yeah, what? They're right here. No, no, other side. You could have been walking around all day long with food on your face. The only way you can prevent that is carry a mirror with you all the time. Ladies, do you do that? You do. Men don't. Men, if you have a mirror, shame on you. Law is like a mirror. I look in the mirror and I go, you mean that's what I've been doing? I didn't know that was wrong. As you grow in a, as a Christian, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a lot of those moments where you, you're kind of reading Scripture and you go, I didn't know that was wrong. Paul says in Romans 7, he said, you know, had the law not said thou shalt not covet, I wouldn't even know what it meant to covet. You mean I can't, I can't look at my neighbor's wife and want her? That's what it says. One of the commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. You mean I can't look at my neighbor's car and want his car? No. Well, then I'll just go get one better than his. Then he'll covet mine. Well, that's another issue. So the law is like a mirror. But guess what? The law is never adequate to save someone to bring him into the kingdom of God. It only reminds you that you're not qualified to get in. By the time you discover the Ten Commandments, you've already blown it. Because you've already broken them, right? Too late. Here it is. Oops. You get a 60%. That flunks. Law was never adequate. Listen to what it, it says in James chapter 2 and verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. 613 commandments in the Old Testament. You think there's a good chance you've missed one? I mean, I know some of you pretty well. I know you've got at least 612 under your belt. Amen? See, that's the great thing about salvation is that God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guess what? We're all in the same boat. No place for self-righteousness. Nobody's better than somebody else. We're all in the same boat. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But guess what? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His great love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So that if you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, the Lord Jesus Christ believed that God raised Him from the dead, here's the promise. You will be, say it with me. What's the word? Saved. Saved. Let me, let me quote a different way and see if it sounds better this way. So if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you got a pretty good shot at getting saved. See, there's a promise of God tied to his word. So God gives his word for us to have promises and to have life. 
God's law offers a different direction for us. I'm going this way, doing my own thing, and God says, no, i got a different direction. Listen to what it says in Galatians 2.16. Man is not justified by the works of the law. You ever heard anybody say, well, I wouldn't do that? No, of course you wouldn't. you do something else. When I was pastoring in Baton Rouge, I had a lot of people in the South who still didn't understand that they were not going to rise again. The South, that is. And this one woman, she was a daughter of the American Revolution. And she was all that. She was just horrified by me. Horrified. I would get out and mow the lawn in shorts. South Louisiana, let me tell you something. Lucky I didn't strip down buck naked out there. It was so, <laughs> so hot. She'd come over, and, and one day I was talking to her. I said, you know, Jean, I, I found out we're related. She was horrified. <laughs> horrified. I said, I have done extensive research into the records of antiquity. I have discovered a clear path of relatives for you and I. She said, I don't believe it's true. Just couldn't even stomach the idea, I guess. I was her pastor. That's the irony of the whole thing. She said, well, who? I said, well, I found this man named Adam, a crooked farmer, and this other, this drunken sailor named Noah. She didn't find any humor in it at all. That's what it says. But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough. I don't care how bad you are, there's still room at the cross for you. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Huh? Is that good news? Boy, it ought to be. Now look, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the first and great commandment of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do I ever then say, you know, I know God says that, but. Do you ever think that the word of God, the law of God is given that we might be strengthened on the inner man, that we might stand strong and true for God? In the last eight days, I've had a couple of opportunities to pray in public settings where there were a mixture of Muslims and Christians and all kinds of Buddhists and different kind of people. I was at the Nixon Library and got to pray there over the presidential wreath and, and was with Ed Nixon, and he looked over at me and he said to me, he looks just like Richard, by the way, he said to me, do you mind if I email you some questions about theology? I gave him my email. I thought I'd never hear from him. The next morning, 8 o'clock, I get an email. But I'm thinking there, God, you just gave us a platform to, to, to use our sphere of influence in the world. This, this past Saturday to pray at the uh, Taylor's Wish 5K run right over here in Anaheim Hills. And I prayed and I got done and I walked over to Starbucks, my office. <laughs> Two or three people stopped me on the way and thanked me. I didn't know them. A couple of people said, you know, we're, gonna, we're looking for a church. We'd, we'd like to come. 
my wife and I are standing there watching runners come by. People are going by, hi, pastor, hi, pastor, hi, pastor. And I thought, isn't this the way the church is supposed to operate? Aren't we supposed to be out there in the community and let people know that we give back instead of just always them thinking we all we're doing is taking? It's time we become a church that gives and loves our community. Now, there's a 4th of July parade. Uh, somebody said, we, can we do it, get a, saw a float or something in the parade coming up on July 4th? I go, oh, yeah, why not? I'm thinking maybe a big gypsy theme. <laughs> Getting involved in touching lives, touching lives of people. Let me, give you some, let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one, really simple. Listen to God. Listen to God. Listen to God. Here's the second. Allow God to shape your heart by His love. Allow God to shape your heart by His love. See, your heart needs to be shaped. It's going to be shaped by your circumstances. It's going to be shaped by your friends, by your conflict, by, your econ by the economy. It's going to be shaped by love. Just say, God, would you shape my heart by love? Just let me love people. You know, God can give you love for people you don't even like. Amen? Anybody have anybody you don't like? Sure you do. You're always afraid to say that. I don't know. I don't want to say it. I'm real spiritual. No, you just told us you were liars, all you told us. Some people you just don't like. But God, I can love them, can I? Can you show me how I can love them? And then receive Christ into your life, and watch this second part, and lifestyle. One thing to be a Christian, are you living out your Christian faith? Are you vocal about the message? Are you talking about Jesus wherever you go? Well, what if they don't want to listen? Then you'll know to go to somebody else. What if they don't like it? They probably won't. They didn't like Jesus. They got so mad at him, they put him on a cross. That ain't going to happen to you. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I want to ask you to really, if you say, I really know Jesus, I really do know him, he's my Savior, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to, to say, God, I am willing. I don't know how, but I am willing to love you with all my heart, my, so, my mind, my soul, and my strength. I'm willing to give that a good shot, God. If you don't know him or you're uncertain, I'm going to ask you this morning to receive Christ, to allow him to be your Savior and your Lord, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might be saved, to be delivered from the house of bondage. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. Let's stand together. For those of you who know Christ, would you just affirm right now, God, I, I want to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and I don't know how, and, and I probably haven't been doing a good job at it. But right now, Jesus, with all that's in me, would you just give me a heart and a desire to do that? Would you show me how I can do that more and more? Would you just allow me to release me so that you can fill me up with your spirit and your life? Some of you during this time, you might want to just jot a prayer down and just come up and put it on the cross and just let this be a time of just recommitment of your life to Jesus. But for those of you who don't know Christ, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to 
allow you to pray that prayer right where you are, right where you stand in your own heart. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly to yourself. But it goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that you died on a cross for me. I know that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Give me the gift of salvation, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the book of life, Lord Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, says Jesus. If that was your prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up right now as a testimony to say, I've prayed and received Jesus today. Would you just lift your hand up? God bless you. Keep, just keep it up. Keep it up. A testimony before God. God bless you. Three or four or five people already. Anybody else? Today I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. God, take these, take these hearts, God, that have opened themselves up to you. Seal it by your Spirit. God, confirm, God, your seal on their heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Now as the band sings this last song, if, if you'd like to come and have anyone pray with you, we'll be here at the front. If you'd like to bring a prayer request and put it on the cross today, you can. But let's just take this time to, to really worship the Lord right now.